listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say, one thing but then the next day. It's different, they change, but they don't know what they want. All they do is change, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going left, going right, travel day, travel night, that's where we'll go. No excuses, no goodbyes, no one cries, no one lies, we'll never know. funny that last week there was nothing but panic and now this week they haven't lost a game since we last spoke with each other it's been a week and all it's been is non-stop pirates wins which suggests to me that they'll probably lose between the recording of this and tomorrow and that talks to the volatility of a 162 game baseball schedule this isn't football this is baseball you get ups and you get downs and you get adjustments and you get bad stretches and you get tough parts of your schedule and you get easy parts of your schedule. And like we've said before, Craig, you want to you want to bum slay. You want to beat up on the teams you're supposed to beat up on. You want this team to continue to learn how to win and be positive. And I can be nothing but happy with the results over the last week and the prospects for the month. And let's just continue to enjoy a season watching guys grow and make adjustments. And that's been the story of this, Chris. And and before we hopped on here, the, the big thing that I was talking about was people, you know, trying to figure out if Key Brian Hayes is quote unquote back. Everybody during this time, I mean, the writers, fans, everybody is trying to recapture that month that happened in 2020, which I don't know how. I mean, he may be able to duplicate that in a small sample size, but I mean, that was just absolutely insane. He was, he was Ted Williams, you know, reincarnated, even though I, I read somewhere again, I forgot that Ted Williams was frozen by his kids and his head was chopped off, but you know, maybe he can be right. I think, I think, yeah, I think, I think the order was he died first, <laughs> then is Head was chopped off, and then it was frozen. It's very hard to chop off a head once the entire body's frozen. I just want you to be factually accurate. Yeah, so there was just whatever was going to happen, he's he's Ted Williams reincarnate. The scouting report on Key Brian Hayes, and, and we had been saying this for the longest time, is if you pitch Key Brian Hayes inside, he can't get his hands around. He goes with that inside-outside swing. He still hits the ball hard, but he hits it directly to normally you know the right fielder or somebody in, you know, the center fielder that's in, in right center field. Well, Cabrian Hayes works with Andy Haynes, gets his little toe tap back, and gets two inside pitches versus the Cardinals because, you know, if you're scouting him, where are you going to throw to him? Inside, guess what? Cabrian turns on it, pulls it, hits two giant home runs. Good for Cabrian. But guess what? 
now that scouting report is out there. And people are going to say, you know what, Cabrian Hayes has learned to, you know, turn on the ball. So we're going to maybe throw him a little bit of in, a little bit of outside stuff. So he's going to have to readjust. It's not saying ever saying that Cabrian Hayes can't become a league average hitter to above league average hitter, but you can't go on these small sample sizes. Great job by Cabrian Hayes for realizing he needed to adjust and do something. Something that he worked on in the offseason, something that he showed in spring training, but then there was tape on him, and they did something different. So this is just these little small things, and you would hope that Cabrian Hayes, if they do make an adjustment to him again, will be able to turn things around quicker and not sit there and struggle for two and a half to three weeks and have, I think it was like nine strikeouts in 14 plate appearances during the previous weekend. Listen, Cabrian Hayes making adjustments is the only thing you got to focus on here. Because that shows that he has the ability to evolve and fight back against Major League Baseball when they figure out how to attack him. And this happens with every young player. This is how you find out if a prospect is a real, legit Major League Baseball player and how far they can go. The first guy that, that pops into my head is the guy out in Seattle, Jared Kalenic. And he was a massive prospect. He was a guy that showed incredible flashes, and when he would get to the major leagues, teams adjusted to what they saw on tape, and he looked terrible. And now all of a sudden this year, he comes out to start off the season, and he's on fire. I mean, my Twitter timeline was filled with Jared Kalenic. Oh my goodness, this guy's going to be the next Ken Griffey Jr. inside a, the, the Mariners organization with the amount of home runs and the, his sweet swing and everything else. And you know what happened? Major League Baseball adjusted again. It's a constant game of adjustments. Now he's become kind of average. I mean, he's still a starter. He's still a viable piece. At some point, it all evens out. You're not going to have a guy who's going to be a career 1124 OPS, which is what Hayes was in 2020. Just as much as Brian Reynolds was not going to be a career 632 OPS in the shortened season for his entire career. In fact, it's really funny. I went back to and I look at those two guys because I knew that 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 Reynolds had had a terrible year in 2020, and I wanted to use that to contrast the 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 Hayes amazing year. Just to point out that in small sample sizes, you don't see the big picture sometimes, and development isn't linear, and guys can get really hot, and the league can adjust to them. And in the process of doing that, Craig. I am stunned as I look at the entirety of everybody that went to the plate at some point for the Pirates in 2020, and I can't find any other names that I recognize anymore that are on this team. (laughs) (laughs) And it's incredible. It's incredible. Like, if you go to baseballreference.com and they'll list guys based upon how often they played in the lineup at that position, and they're starting nine. The, the the most regular starting nine for 2020 has Jacob Stallings, Josh Bell, Adam Frazier, Eric Gonzalez, Cole Tucker, Gregory Polanco, and Colin Moran joining Cabrian Hayes and Brian Reynolds. And I seem to remember when we were doing that show way back then, the two of us pointing out there aren't a lot of guys on this team that are going to be here when this team is competing. And these are the only two guys that I'm paying attention to in Hayes and Reynolds. And guess what? It was true. And, you know, in the end, you didn't give up on Reynolds. Look at where he got to. You ended up giving him an extension. All of Piratum was was losing their mind where you're going to lose him. But remember how bad he was in that short sample size. 
And for the same reason that you don't give up on a guy like that in a short sample size, you don't immediately believe that Hayes is on his way to the to the Hall of Fame after 60 games. And, you know, at some point, all the adjustments get made and these guys finally settle into what they are. And then they're still going to have that off year. They're still going to have that first half slump year or second half slump year where they just can't figure it out. They're going to have to break out of it. And they're going to have that lightning, the, the lightning in the bottle year where they have their best uh, career, career year, and it's going to be an anomaly on the back of their baseball card. That's baseball. Yeah, people like don't understand. And, and, and you're getting me to like kind of you know, think about Brian Reynolds right now because, for, once again, before we hopped on the show, we were talking, and, and I was – I'm kind of worried about Brian Reynolds. In his last 118 at-bats, he's slashing 246, 321, 407. And and that's kind of like what the bottom of Brian Reynolds is. Obviously, you know, for the season, he's batting 276 with an 812 OPS and seven home runs. That's still a good season. I'm hoping that, you know, he's just on one of his little slumps, one of his little downturns at this point in time. But once again, Brian Reynolds has shown that he is able to make these adjustments. I just kind of anxiously as a Pirates fan putting on the fan hat want to see that happen sooner rather than later through the last, you know, for the first two months of last season, he was struggling and then ends up hitting, you know, a career number of home runs. So Brian Reynolds has shown the ability to get out of these types of slumps, but even with this extended slump, he's still having an, a, a well above average year. So I have to keep reminding myself of that. And if anybody else is thinking about that, think about that as well. He still has an eight twelve OPS with as much as he's struggled over pretty much the past month. Listen, you can take a look at the, his career numbers, his year-by-year stats, and his big picture, and you can find reasons to say, don't worry about it, and you can, you can also find reasons for concern. The reasons that I, I don't worry about it is because all he's done is revert back to basically his career stats. In, in this slump that he's having over the last, what did you say, about 100 at-bats or something like that, he has gone very close to his 281 lifetime average hitting 276. His lifetime OBP of 358, he's at 333. His lifetime slugging of 481, he's at 479. What is that? He's two points off there. His his lifetime OPS of 839, he's a little below it at 813. He his OPS plus year to year compared to the rest of the league, 127, he's at 121. By the way, last year he was right exactly in, he was at his exact career numbers, what he did last year. So you could first say, he's just going back to the mean. He'll get hot again when his season is over. I expect him to be at his career numbers and possibly better because he's Brian Reynolds and he's 28, and this is when guys should be in their prime having their best year. So I, I'm not worried about it. But then when I say that, that's where the cause for concern comes in. We're talking about a guy whose best year was at age 26, in fact, that was the year that he blew up. That was his lightning in a bottle career year up until this point. I, you know, you expect him, especially with the contract that you gave him, to have years like that again. You're not paying for him just to be a guy with an, with an 813 OPS every year or less. You're not expecting him to, to have down years. You want to see at least those career numbers 
if not a couple of years where he shines. And so that becomes concerning to me because if you're going to have your big years, they're generally for a hitter at age 27, 28. And though his 26 year was actually his best year. And so that's where my concern comes in because you worry there is a slight decline already beginning with him. And that would be early for a player his age. And it doesn't line up with the contention window that's coming up for the Pirates and you just spent a bunch of money on him. Now, that is a, I think, insane worry at this point. That's that's just a concern. No, I understand it. If you're looking at it, you can get that like, ooh, that, that makes me a little nervous as to whether or not I'm buying in on him rebounding and becoming better than what you're seeing out there right now over the course of it over the course of this year and that's why the last hundred or so games uh concern me but overall I'm still in the Brian Reynolds camp I I still believe the positive more than the negative yeah I'm absolutely in the Brian Reynolds camp too Chris and for me it's just like in seeing him like you can tell when you watch a game and you can tell that Brian Reynolds is locked in like he's hitting the ball hard even when you know, he may strike out. It's it's because it was a great matchup with a pitcher and he just kind of maybe just got outworked a little bit. In a game like last night, and I, I don't like to just pull out like one game, but, you know, struck out three times against the Athletics. But when we were, I don't know, prepping for this, we kind of looked and saw that the Athletics last night didn't even really throw us anything that we could hit. They had 10 walks. They had 10 strikeouts. I mean, it could have been... 15 walks and five strikeouts because there was not a whole lot that was close, you know, to the zone and, and a lot to swing at. I just am waiting for and have been waiting for, you know, everybody had a a pretty awful May Uh, and I'm looking for, you know, Brian Reynolds to look, you know, kind of locked in again, not obviously not to the degree he was for the first week of the season where he had like five home runs and like everything that he touched was either like going off the wall or out of the ballpark. But I just, it's also just that eye test thing where I don't, he looks to be more frustrated at times, different stuff like that. But it was just something that, you know, as a fan, I look at that and it's like, okay, if we wanted to be, you know, Cabrian Hayes, you know, Brian Reynolds, Mitch Keller, I mean, we're seeing a great Mitch Keller, we're seeing flashes from Brian Hayes and we're seeing flashes, you know, from Brian Reynolds. It's, it's to me, I just want to see, you know, a lot of that just kind of move forward and not, <laughs> I hate to say it is not see so many headlines of, well, Kutch won this game for us because I don't know how much longer Kutch is going to be here. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't get myself too hung up on it. I mean, again, I mean, look at, you're right. There's a lot of things that you can kind of get wrapped up in, in this season. And, but every time that Kutch does something great, even though he's not part of a long-term thing, you should still enjoy it because it continues to add to the winning culture you're trying to build for a team that's been nothing but a loser for a long time. And you need to build that culture so when the young guys do finally come of age and become exactly what they're going to become, that they, they're ready to go and they're moving forward and your window opens and opens wide and stays open for as long as possible. And hopefully there's there's a long-term window if you've built your minor league system correctly and you're doing a very good job identifying talent when you're scouting pro talent and amateur talent and doing a very good job developing players and fixing little hitches in their giddy-up. If you bring somebody in, you're like, hey, we can fix this one thing. We're going to make them a much better player. If all those things are working, it's a long window. And, and that it matters to have 
the winning attitude so when that window opens, it's wider than it could be. Now, you know, on the other hand, you are looking at the young guys. I mean, in the end, the guys who you think are your core, it matters that they develop. But development, again, isn't linear. You're going to have your ups and your downs and your adjustments that have to be made. So I'm really not, I'm not concerned about it. I mean, I, I still fall back on the fact that we sat there last week and said, don't panic because of what the record is right now. That was going to be a rough month. We warned you that was going to be a rough month. We told you May was going to be brutal. And then we sat there and told you, you're going to have generally a very winnable June. Let's see what they can do. And they've gone gangbusters in the June. And and they should continue. Look, they bare minimum should win two out of three from the A's. They, they should be competitive against the Mets at home. And have and have a good opportunity of winning that series. They should just beat the tower out of the Cubs in Wrigley. They should be able to go to Milwaukee and win there. They should get the Cubs back here and sweep them right off the field. They're a better team. And so, like, you're going to have these ups with your schedule and with your win column. And you're going to have downs. And you're going to have your ups with your prospects. And you're going to have your downs. I, In reality, I am not that concerned right now. You want to know what I'm most concerned about? I'm most concerned about what is the plan long term at first base. Because if I could replace Carlos Santana right now, I would. Yeah, and then that's something we talked about earlier. Is, And I think I even asked Jason Mackey about it. was just the concern of... Now, Carlos Santana, he brings that veteran leadership. A lot of the guys, you know, they, they're learning from him how to be professional Major League Baseball players. And, then and that's a great him thing. and put him on the bench or something like that, you know? I mean, he can he can learn without – I mean, he, sh- he shouldn't be getting a ton of at-bats. We're talking about a guy, uh, about a guy with 221 play, plate appearances at this point. It's, it's way too many when he's, he's, he's not in your long-term plans and he's hitting 230. Right. With only three home runs. Like to me, I don't I don't see the long term benefit of him being in there every day. Sure. If he needs to be in there now. Great. What I'm saying, though, is who's going to be the guy that eventually takes that job? Like because because I want to see something more long term in that spot starting next year at the latest. I don't know. And that's we haven't developed. and, And I think this is like a broken record when it comes out of my mouth is that the Pirates haven't developed a first baseman since Kevin Young, and that was going on, I think, almost 30 years at this point. So, I mean, they're going to have to do something. Uh, Malcolm Nunez is is injured currently down in Indianapolis. Hopefully he comes back. Only 22 years old. was having a good May. So that's unfortunate to see. We have Aaron Shackelford, who is you know, 26 years old, got some pop, is actually having, in AAA, one of the best years of his minor league career. But that's, to me, is like, I wouldn't mind seeing him up here to kind of figure out if if he's somebody that can, even though he wasn't a highly touted prospect, if he could be somebody who could be at first base, you know, maybe next year for a little bit. If you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me, and not just because of the white beard, but also because of the why that is always on top of my head, the hat I always wear. The Yin's brand, 
proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties, one brand, Yins. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yins for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at www.shopyins. The emphasis on the two Zs. High quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold. Made for Yins by a Yinzer. Big news, Henry Davis and Andy Rodriguez in Indianapolis together. Ben Sherrington spoke about it. And to me, I still don't see Henry as any closer to Pittsburgh than he was in in Altoona. Other than they're starting to make the decision that, okay, these guys are going to be on the team, hopefully long-term together. So we we want both of them to catch, to a certain degree at least, in the short term. We have to figure out how we can get them both in the lineup and both on a team together. So... Henry's going to catch some games. Andy's going to catch some games. Henry's going to play in right field. Andy is going to play at first base. Andy has had games at second base. He's had games in the outfield in previous seasons. But at this point in time, it's just like, okay, he's going to be overwhelmed with, you know, the catching at, at the major league level, at AAA level. Uh, and we want him to focus on that. So let's just put him out of first base. We know he's athletic enough to do it. But that would only solve that issue for possibly like a few days. You do need an answer at first base. Well, here's the thing: if you if who's the who's the catcher of the future? Like right now, it feels like such so many mixed messages, right? Like Andy, we want him to focus on other things, so we're going to move him to first base. You got Henry Davis playing some outfield down in the minor leagues. It seems like they're not happy with any of these guys. They've got two guys that are listed on these prospect list nationally as being high-end catcher prospects, and neither one of them, the team feels, uh, is a very good catcher. So, like, what what's the solution there? Is Are you going to develop one of them into your catcher of the future, or are you already really kind of given up and you're going to go, you know, at one point, it feel, at some point, it feels like they're going to go out and they're going to have to make a trade, right? They're going to have to go to a team that either has the catcher that they really want for the future or has the first baseman they really want and has to deal, possibly, one of these two guys to get it. Because it it just feels like they're not they're they're not confident in either one of them, or at least you know gung ho about them being a catcher in the major leagues. It's very goofy, Chris. And, and here's the thing: is I mean, we've talked about this previously. Is that Henry's defense is is not up to snuff at this point in time? Got a killer arm. He's working on framing, blocking. He's working on calling a game. Andy has the the framing, the blocking, he also has a good arm down, is working on calling the game, but to me it kind of seems like they may be worried about his ability to stick behind the plate just because of, I don't want to say endurance, but maybe the physicality of the position, and he's not a very big guy. He's fairly athletic, but I could see them... I'm not saying that every catcher has to be I'm thinking of like some some guy from like one of those goofy like kids baseball movies that we watched growing up where the catcher's just this big burly guy or this stocky guy. Henry has more of the catching frame, Andy doesn't. That's like the simplistic part of it, but Andy's the better catcher and they're trying to figure out a way to do both of them, but in some ways they're not landing on either of them just like you said. 
It's it's weird to me. Look, if you you should be able at some point. I mean, if they can't do it at this point, fine. But you're going to have to figure it out by next year. You've got to figure it out by the start of next year because I think it. I think by the start of next year, one of these guys has got to be up and be in that catcher's role if that's what his job is. Otherwise, I get you don't really have one because to me, like like what you just said there, my instant reaction to that is all right. Well, it sounds to me like the better catcher is Endy, but they don't want to lose his bat. They don't want him to be spending so much time preparing and getting worn out by the role that they're not going to get what they want out of him at the plate. So that's what their fear is. And it's a reasonable fear. MJ Melendez out in Kansas City has basically been told that he's an outfielder this year because he didn't he was not adjusting to major league pitching. And so it was like we need him to get that done right before we move him to catcher. And maybe this is the curvy path that eventually Endy takes to becoming a catcher, especially if Henry Davis can't figure it out I don't know how much you can teach a guy though about how to catch if he can't figure it out at this level in the minor leagues there's a guy who went through the the pirate system and there's a reason he went through the pirate system during that time that uh, Ben Charrington was just grabbing everybody else's scraps just to check a guy out for a couple of weeks I don't know if you remember Zach Collins but Zach Collins was a was a high-end draft choice who actually had a bat the problem was he was a bad catcher and that guy, that was his that was his thing coming up all through the minor leagues. If only we could figure out how to get this guy to learn how to catch. I mean, they even had him hang out with other professional catchers. They did everything they could with him in every system he was at. He just couldn't figure it out. He wasn't a very good catcher. And the bat didn't play well enough to be someplace else, but it was good enough to be a catcher. And and that's that's what your fear is, is that you run into that problem. I don't know if Henry Henry Davis could be a major league baseball player and ne- never turn out to be a good catcher. And if Endy doesn't find that curvy path back to catcher, that's going to be what you're going to have to address in free agency or with some sort of a trade. I mean, at some point that's going to happen, though, right, Craig? Like, not every prospect works out the way you want them to and ends up in the position you want them to be in. That's why it's a fortunate thing that you have so many middle infield and center field prospects and outfield prospects that can be moved around because you would much rather have that problem with athleticism that can be moved to other positions than to have seven first basemen and be trying to figure out who your shortstop is or your center fielder, right? So, I mean, I guess every team has this problem is my belief. They have to figure out how to fill in the spots that don't develop in the time frame that they're trying to get good, open up their window and be competitive from year to year. And so I, I think that'll be the challenge. I would not be shocked if you see a free agent catcher or a trade for a catcher at some point where prospects are moved, guys that you have fallen in love with, because I know you love every prospect, or if this works out for, you know, for Endy, that first base becomes the thing that they go out and buy because there's plenty of first basemen out there. Yeah, and that's where I think I it might have been on one of the the minor league news and brews shows. I, I was talking to you know somebody about the development of you know the Arizona Diamondbacks and their rebuild and how it was so. I don't know if it would be lucky or if it was nice that they were able to go out and get Christian Walker, which Christian Walker. It wasn't like, you know, when he was a free agent or when he that he was like this highly touted guy that everybody's like, oh, man, I'd love to bring Christian Walker in to play first base. But look like look at what he's done, you know, for that team and how that's kind of sped up the process for them. 
And they actually had a catching prospect in Dalton Varsho, who they realized was a better outfielder than he was a catcher. And what did they end up doing? They end up trading him to get their catcher of the future from the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays had a plethora of, you know, of catchers at their disposal. I would hope that either, you know, Davis or Rodriguez would be able to work out at catcher. I mean, I think that especially like with Henry, his bat would be so valuable there. But if he, even though, you know, you, you're going to have the, the automated balls and strikes at some point in time. So the framing's not going to be as important. You still have to block the ball. You still have to call the game. And Ben Charrington, during that same, you know, interview process there, talked about how important with this pitch clock calling the game is. He talked about, you know, we used to, yeah, we used to call in the pitches. And the catcher would just basically be the guy that's throwing down the signal. But it would be us, you know, it would be the people in the dugout doing it. He goes, with that time frame now of that, we don't, there's not a time to have a discussion back and forth. It's the catcher who is calling the majority of the pitches, if not all the pitches, for the entire game. So you need a guy who is able to do that. So even as the game adjusts to, you know, maybe taking down some part of the catcher's defensive prowess, it's still an important part of the of the game to have a guy who is able to prep, who's able to do that. And sometimes, I mean, you look across Major League Baseball, how many good hitting catchers are there, Chris, really, at this point in time? You don't see too many. There's not, there's not many. I mean, there's some. There, there's a couple of them. That, uh, and you, every once in a while, will get somebody who comes along who – who can play the position and can actually hit. and the, But it's a rarity. That's why they're so valuable. And that's why it's so important for the Pirates as an organization, for those that are doing the evaluating at the ground level with these players and the communication all the way up through everybody else to Ben Charrington when it comes time to make the decision on these two guys. Because if you don't have a catcher out of the two of them, you've got to figure that out before the rest of Major League Baseball figures it out. While there's still guys that are sitting right around, I think they're four and five or five and six on the MLB pipeline list for prospect catchers. You know, when they're still up at the top of everybody's top 10 list, when they're sitting around there and everybody's sitting there thinking this could be a major league catcher and wow, look how lucky the Pirates are that they have two of them. If you identify one is better than the other and is going to work out better in the major leagues, but neither one of them is going to be a catcher, you need to make the move in a basically a minor league swap of some sorts or to use it, use that capital in some way. But the best way is to try to be able to get somebody else's catcher that you actually believe in. That's where scouting comes in and knowing when to pull the trigger. You know, you can't, you can't fall in love with your prospects. I'm not saying these two guys don't work out. I'm not saying they don't go on to have great careers with the pirates, but you also can't fall in love with your draft picks and can't fall in love with your prospects to the point where you're blinded and you're the last team to figure out that this is not going to be the guy you expected him to be. You want to be the first team that figures it out. That's what the Rays do all the time. The other teams, in base, the, the Rays are the best at that, aren't they? The Dodgers do a good job of it too. Understanding their system and not caring that they drafted the guy or that they put so much time in development when they realize that this guy is not going to work out for what they need them for, they move them when you when everybody else is still in love with them 
to go and get the guy that they really need. I, I, I go back to, I want to say it was Matthew Libatore for Randy or Rosarena a couple of years ago. And they make that move. I, I could be wrong on those names. I'm pretty sure that's what yeah. it was. They make that move with St. Louis. And St. Louis didn't realize what they had in the Rosarena. And everybody thought Libatore was a top 10 pitching prospect. And they were the only ones that realized that he probably wasn't. And now Libatore's finally made it into the majors and he's had a rough go of it for his first three starts with St. Louis. And they were able to go get a guy who's been a staple on their team for the last couple of years because they knew that everybody else valued the guy more than what they knew he was. And it was that understanding of even though we like this guy, we drafted this guy, we developed this guy, he's not worth as much as what other people think he's worth. So now let's trade it in before they figure it out. And, and, and that's, that is a big key to building a franchise, especially under the budget constraints that the Pirates will probably always be under with Bob Nutting. And so that, that's the interesting thing. That's the thing that comes to mind when I look at these two guys. They've both made it to AAA. They're going to become more exposed in AAA. And how they use them is teams are going to notice. So at some point, if neither one of them are translating as catchers, the stink will get on them to the point where nobody believes they're a catcher and you, you won't be able to move them for the same value that you probably could if somebody believed that that was a major league catcher. You see what I'm saying there? Like you want to you wanna be able to evaluate quickly and not be afraid to say, yeah, we drafted this person and yeah, we told you he was going to be great, but we've made this other move and you're going to like it. And take a little heat from people out there over the whole thing, but know that you're right because the Rays take heat all the time for those moves and yet look at them win constantly. And that's why Robert Stevenson, who we just traded to the Rays, is going to be the all-star closer next year for the yeah. Rays. I would and, I would never trade with the Rays, and ever. That, ever. And, I, and we get Alika Williams, a guy who I wanted back in 2020, who pretty much has turned into Cole Tucker with a little bit better defense. So now he's in our AAA. Listen, I just I just put a guy on my fantasy team that's a Rays prospect. And, I, and, I, and, and, the, and it's so funny, he was lost in the system that he came from. And I can't remember who they grabbed to go get him, but his name is, I'm, I'm looking it up right now, uh, is Candelero Kid, who's the third base prospect for him. Oh my God, is that he's kid basically, so good? I know, but he was floundering in the system he was in before. And the Rays just basically made a deal to bring him in, fix something, and now he's shooting up the prospect charts. Like, I mean, that's, I mean, like, how the Rays front office is not constantly plucked of talent every year by front offices that have more money and can offer them the world to leave the Rays and come do what they do on their team is mind-boggling to them. They should have so much turnover inside of their front office because of what they're able to identify and do. It's incredible to me. That's the goal, Craig. That's the goal. We Man, we, that's another thing we said back in 2020. We said you're never going to see most of these guys again that are on this roster be, besides Hayes and, and Reynolds. And none of this, none of the rest of this lineup is going to survive the next couple of years. We guaranteed that. And we said, you gotta be like the race. Now I see the changes in this town. They change. 